Good morning, brothers and sisters. Again, now today, after we heard Jono share the word last week, and, and he had a bit of an exercise which involved us all standing up and stuff, um, I was really encouraged with that, and I, and I liked the word that was put forth and the challenge that was actually shared last week through our brother Jono. So I, I want to do a similar challenge. So if I could get everyone to stand up again, please. Get everyone to stand up again. Greatly appreciated, greatly appreciated. Now, I know, I know th- this is the reason why I didn't want to start off with the meet and greet, but I, I know how we as a church, we are comfortable in our own little groups and stuff like this. So I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes. I want you to mingle. I want you to, if, if you're a married couple, I know you love being with each other and I know you love talking to each other and, and looking at each other's eyes and praying for one another. And, and I, I know that I'd like you as a married couple, please don't take this literally, but I'd like you to split and I'd like you to go find someone else to sit with just, just it, okay? So I'd like you to break up for the next two minutes, go find somebody, go talk with them, and then for the rest of the service, I want you to be sitting next to them, okay? Do that for me now. Go. You have two minutes. Go. Walk around. Walk around. Find somebody different. Find someone different to hang out with, to mingle with, to talk with, please. It may involve you meeting somebody else or sitting in a different spot, Irene, that doesn't count. You just moved behind Irene. That doesn't count. I saw, you went from the front to the back. That, that doesn't count. You've got to move. You've got to move. Find someone to sit with. Find someone else. Find, all right. Yeah, split right up. Split right up and find somebody to sit next to. Somebody you don't really know. Okay? All right. All right. Now. Okay. Praise God. I do, I do like the fact, I do like the fact how, like, when given the chance, everybody gets further away from me. That's really funny. Okay. All right. Now, for the next little activity, for the next little exercise, yeah, I know. You see what's Uncle Stephen, bro? Said, like, there's, there's three there. Are you going to make a three there? Okay. Okay. Can I tell you what? Can you three guys come sit here in front, please? Come on, come on, bro. Come on. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Thanks, man. Now you can't fall asleep. I know, bro. I think you should sit in the front too, brother. Just to be honest. Okay. All right. Now that we're all in the front. Okay, now that we've all mixed. This is cool. I really like this. Now for the next 30 seconds. Hey, Uncle Siwa. How are you? Oh, wow. Okay. That's the 4D experience. You get to smell what I'm talking about as well. Okay, so. So. Now this is what's going to happen. Now this, this is not, I like this. I like this. It's nice looking in, the, in different areas and seeing. Although Irene, Irene, that was pretty bad. Irene, Irene went from sitting in the front row and sitting in the exact same seat, one row back. She just, she just, and she didn't actually sit next to anyone. I think Kathleen went and sat next to her. She just like, she's like, oh yeah, yeah. And you thought I wouldn't see, eh? I saw that one. I saw that one. Okay, now here's what's, here's what, now this is what's going to happen. For the next 30 seconds to a minute, with the person that you're sitting next to, I would like for you to learn, at most, three things about them, okay? It could be something like what their favorite color is, what their favorite food is, how long they've been a Christian, how they've become a Christian, whatever it might be, okay? So you've got 30 seconds to a minute to find out about the person you're sitting next to. Ready? Go. Where is this? On the seat? All right, all right, all right.
Got 30 seconds left. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pet owners and non-pet owners. Well done, well done, well done. Oh, no, no, I won't do this. I would encourage you, I would encourage you to carry on that conversation after the sermon, after the service. That's all right, that's all right. That's good. This is exciting. I'm, I'm so excited. This is so exciting. All right. Now I'm going to ask for a volunteer from each section to tell me what they learned. I'm just going to ask one person each. So is there any volunteers from this side that want to tell me what they learned about the person that they're sitting next to? Ben? Thanks, bro. Oh, do you want to wait? Oh, sure, bro. You can sing if you want, man. I'm... I'm <laughs> uh, I, I, I trust to be keeping the secret. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promised her. <laughs> um, Auntie Kathy is she? Cat? Oh, sorry, cat. I, Let's start Catherine, with the name, right? Auntie Catherine. <laughs> so what, what do we got? Auntie Auntie Cat. Um, she became a Christian when she was twelve. Awesome. Um, she has been to. Um, What's the the kids kids school the um, church kids church? <laughs> I just I don't know what it's called anymore. Um, so she was there. Um, she's been going to kids um, kids church for a while, but then kind of came away and then came back. She had a desire to go to um, desire to experience God um, later on when she was around twelve, and she. She talked to a secondary teacher to be able to experience that. School friend, school friend. That's very cool. Thank you. Give a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for that, Auntie Kat. Okay. Do I have a volunteer from this section? What's that, Craig? Thanks, bro. No, Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Sorry, sorry. I, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, this is Aiden. Um, he is 13 years old, and he is from Singapore. Well, he lives in Singapore. Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, nice to meet you, Aiden. It's wonderful to have you here. And we have one more. Irene! <laughs> I'm, I'm picking on Irene today. Here we go. Irene, your turn. See, you didn't move anywhere. That's your turn. Anyway. Um, so I was talking to Auntie Catherine. Um, I learned that she used to be in accounting and um, that um, Uncle David used to work for BT. And... Uh, I uh, still works at BT. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she has four grandchildren. We're still getting to know each other. That's awesome. That's, uh, that, I, like, I like that. That was a good cover at the end. Well done. Well done. See, I, I would encourage you to carry on like, getting to know people and continuing that conversation, Irene. That, I think that's really quite cool. But the reason why I want to start off with something as simple as this is because there's going to be another activity involved as well. But... So we've been looking at discipleship and lessons in discipleship, and I think one of the greatest things about the lessons that we learn from Jesus Christ is the interpersonal relationships that you share with people. How can you impact somebody 
if you don't know them? How can you, how can you have a positive influence on their lives if, if you're always kept at an arm's length? See, it all starts off with the simple thing of taking a step out and making yourself vulnerable and allowing God to use the bridge that is built to build one another up, to invest into each other's lives. And I think that's a really, really blessed experience. I watched a video just recently, a little video. It was a humorous video, and it was called How to Have a Shallow Small Group. A Shallow Small Group. And it was a really funny video. I'll show it to you early next year. But this, this whole thing about a shallow small group is because, I've, you know, are you tired of people wanting to do life together? This is how the video is going on. You know, are you tired of people opening up? And you know, I, I, That's why I thought it important to create the world's first shallow small group. Because in a shallow small group, you'll never hear someone say, do you want to unpack that thought? And then he, and he does one, and if somebody gets too deep, you know, it says, one of the lines is, um, you don't want to get confused with theology and get bogged down with theology. The best way to do that is to avoid theology altogether. You know, it's just, it's really interesting. And I think the best one was uh, the way to stop a cell group from becoming more deep was, uh, he called it RID, R-I-D. The first one, when someone tries to share something, ridicule someone, ridicule. The second one is interrupt. And the last one is distract. That's how you prevent, that's how you prevent uh, a cell group becoming deeper. And because and the closing line of the, of the segment is, because when things get too deep, people drown. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's a good video. I, I, I really like that one. But this is, what, this is what discipleship is, though. Discipleship is actually about involving yourself with people. And, and today I wanted us to have a look at something a little a slightly different dynamic, a different tack. So um, if I could have the slide up, please be read. Thank you very much. So, so far in the several sessions that we've looked at regarding lessons in discipleship from the Gospels of Matthew and thanks to John O'Luke uh, last week, we are looking at various lessons that we have learned from Jesus' example. What better way to learn about discipleship than by looking at the Master, by looking at what He did? And, and we see how Jesus is always the, mo- the main focus of discipleship. He is the main focus. He is to be the main thing. That our goal for discipleship is to become more like Jesus. And the means to which that discipleship is attained, genuine discipleship, genuine fellowship, genuine positive influence for the kingdom of God comes about when you rely on Jesus' power, authority, and provision. So with this as our basis of today's sermon, what we're going to do is prayerfully look at how practically we can become doers of the word in regards to discipleship. And, and, and I use the word discipleship and relationship interchangeably because I think there, there isn't much of a difference between the two when you look at the things that are involved regarding what discipleship actually is. It involves keeping the right focus. It involves having a goal to attain. It involves investing into and being invested into. And so I want to open in a word of prayer so that we might become doers of the word and not just hearers only, as we go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much you have given us your Word, you have given us your Spirit, you have given us each other by which we can not only be built up in the faith and deepen in our relationship with you, but also encourage and bless and stir each other up to love and good works. We ask, Father, now that you will, by your grace, give us an understanding of your heart's desire 
give us a clear, clear vision of what you want to attain in each of our lives, not only individually, but also corporately as a church. And help us, Father, to be able to, to live out the truths that you burden our hearts with and that you convict our hearts about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to start off looking at... Okay, hang on. Here's my, here's my next activity. We have Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Who can tell me what Matthews 5, 6, and 7 are about besides Pastor John? Matthews 5, 6, and 7 are what? The ser- yeah, that's right. You're right. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It is the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you another couple of minutes. Don't worry, the whole sermon is not going to be you doing stuff for me. But I'm going to ask you to, to take the next couple of minutes to discuss. Actually, this section here, you have Matthew chapter 5 to discuss, to talk about. And I want you to pick one verse or one truth or one thing within that chapter that speaks to you or that encourages you or that blesses you. Matthew chapter 5. You guys here, you have Matthew chapter 7. You thought I was going to say Matthew chapter 6, eh? Matthew chapter 7. Why? Because it's different, and I want you to do the same thing. I want you here to talk with the person next to you. It might be something that God challenges your heart with, something that might bless you, something that may open your eyes or, or be a blessing to you. So you do that for Matthew chapter 7. Jimmy, can you join Craig, please, just to pair up? Thanks, bro. It looks funny when you sit by yourself. And you guys here, you got Matthew chapter 6. All right? No, no, next to Craig, man. <laughs> you did an Irene, man. You just moved from one seat to another. Come on now. All right, and you guys got Matthew chapter 6. You've got two minutes, okay? Two minutes, go. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 6. Thank you. I know two minutes isn't a long time to read a whole chapter. You can just flick through it. There might be something that you've actually, like that might have stuck out to you. Something might have got a change. Might, it's something you might have read before. One of my ones is always Matthew 6.22. I always remember Matthew 6.22 because that was the Bible verse given to me the day I was baptized. Okay, okay. You've got about a minute left, guys. got about a minute left sit down there might be one particular truth God opens your eyes to see something might be really encouraging could be something like it wasn't Matthew 552 okay okay so who do I go first I went Ben I went Jake so you're safe now eh, bro sound you glad you did that the first time around all right I know who I'm going to pick from each section. Okay. All right, guys. All right, there we go. Time, time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Before, I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 6 in a moment. But before we get underway, did I put that there? Okay, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this is what we read. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. To provide a bit of context. So, Jesus is 
sitting down. He takes that, that rabbinical position of teaching by sitting down. His disciples gather around him, and he begins to teach them. He begins to invest into them. He begins to expound the Scriptures to these guys, and he does it in such a way in the Sermon on the Mount that as Yusuf Aziz, when he spoke at our More Than Conquerors camp many, many years ago as a youth group, he made this particular point when he came to church. He said the Sermon on the Mount is all about demystifying God. You see, for the Hebrews at that time, they would have heard about all the great things God had performed in their history. He would have known, all these Hebrews would have known about the parting of the Red Sea. They would have known about the fire from heaven from Elijah. They would have known about the conquering of the promised land through Joshua. They would have known about David and his golden era and reign. They would have known about Solomon and not only his victory of being the wisest man in the world, but also of his failure of turning his back on God and, and, and turning to all these idols. They would have known about all of this. They would have read about the history and seen the likes of Jeremiah, the, the prophet that wept over Israel. They would have seen Ezekiel and everything that he experienced with the great vision of God. They would have known about Daniel and, and being cast into the lion's, the, the lion's den. They would have had all of this thing, and this is what happens in those contexts. And we, we fall into the same trap. They would have looked back and thought, well, that was what God did back then. This is us now. And I think we fall into that same trap, don't we? We fall into that same trap of sitting there, wow, God is capable of doing so much because he did it all in the past, but what about now? And so whilst he's sitting down there, he's demystifying God in Jeremiah 23, 23, God says to Jeremiah, and he says, am I not a God also close at hand as well as a God afar off? We forget of the God being close at hand and focus on the God of being transcendent and afar off and think that he is not concerned with his people, and he's not intimately involved with the working and the machinations of what takes place within this planet. We think that, but what we think is a far cry from the reality that he is a God that is involved. And he is doing this now in the teaching of Matthew 5 through the 7. He is doing this now. He is showing the people this is the person of God the Father. This is who he is, the God who involves himself, the God who hears the God who acts, the God who speaks, the God who involves himself. And this is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He demystifies us to, say, to take God from being here where he is, and, and rightfully is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the God of all creation. He is, he is there. And then Jesus says, yes, and this God who is here comes down to you here. Isn't that amazing to think that this is, this is who we know in the person of Jesus Christ? So when we look at Matthew chapter 6, what was one thing? I'm going to ask I'm gonna ask Uncle Mike, what'd you get, bro, from, from Matthew chapter 6? Nice and loud, bro. Can you read that? Thanks. Verse 24 was the one that uh, spoke to me. Do you want to read that out for us? Yeah. Uh, no one can serve uh, two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it, it might mean God and money, but there are so many other things that, that uh, take that place. 
Very nice. Thank you very much for that, brother. Greatly appreciated. That's awesome. Give him a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Evelyn. What did you get from Matthew chapter 5? Um, we actually just looked at the first verse on the screen. Now, when Jesus uh, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. So I was sharing about how um, like influential Jesus was um, as a person and how willing and comfortable his disciples um, were to like just follow him and sit down and learn from him. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Give a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, r- I really like that word. Thank you so much for that, Evelyn. And, and think about that. That is really cool. That, isn't it really neat where you can go somewhere and you feel comfortable enough just to sit down with somebody? That, that's always really, this is what I think hospitality is. Hospitality is when you can go to a, someone's house and feel completely, completely at home and just relax. And someone says, put your feet up. And you're like, oh. But when you go home and they're like, put your feet up. And you're like, yeah. yeah. Not, not being rude or take advantage or anything like that. I think that's really quite neat. And our last one, we're going to go with Mr. Wong. How you going, bro? Yeah, so uh, Matthew 7, um, verse 7. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and a door will be opened to you. Very nice. And, and what did you get from that one, bro? Uh, just that you, know, you can rely on God and he will provide. You, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so good. Give a round of applause, please, brothers and sisters. In that particular order, what I really like is, so you have the choice of having a single master. You cannot be divided in heart. And our master is one whom we feel comfortable with that you could approach at any time and sit down and talk with and, and share with them, which means you could ask anything of him and he'll listen. This is really quite interesting. Now, when you look at the truths that are revealed in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, I want to encourage you to read through those. You see the blessings of just who God is. And the reason why I want to start off with such things is because I'm not actually sharing from Matthews 5, 6, or 7. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 8. Because it's always really interesting how you can have great teaching, great teaching. I mean, this is the greatest teacher of all time. I mean, if you could sit down and, 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 and sit down with Jesus at any time, Ravi Zacharias actually asks this question. He says, what would you listen to? What message of Jesus would you listen to if you could go back in time and sit at the feet of the master during his time on earth and listen to any message that he, he proclaimed? What would it be? Would it be this one? The Sermon on the Mount, and listen to what he had to say there. Would it be at the, at the communion, where the, the last, the final meal, and to sit down, or, and when he's walking to Gethsemane to have prayer, and he's, he's investing into them while he walks? Would it be his great commission when you're on the mountain, Matthew chapter 28? What would be the message that you would listen to? But the thing is this, even with the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest blessing of all time, the one with the greatest power and the greatest authority to communicate God's message, it really doesn't mean anything if it doesn't change what's in here. It really doesn't mean anything if it doesn't take what's in here and transforms our lives outwardly. And this is what I love about the example of discipleship Jesus gives. Because what he does, after spending this great amount of time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this discourse of who God is, you know what he does in Matthew chapter 8? He lives it out. He lives it out. He goes out and he shows his disciples, this is how it looks. This is what it looks like. 
This is how, excuse my slang, this is how it's done. And that is what he does in Matthew chapter 8 and throughout the rest of his life. And when you look at Matthew chapter 8, you have this list here. This list here of the number of things, and this is just the first part of it, of what he does. You see, the greatest of truths here this morning can be a blessing and an encouragement. It can be an absolute edification for you in your own spiritual life. But if it doesn't move from the realm of the mind and the heart into the realm of action, then it's useless. It doesn't mean anything, but here's the thing. God's word is never useless. It never returns to him void. If you look in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, you don't have to turn there. I will read it to you. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and, the, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. For which I sent it. The purpose for which he sends out his word is to bring order. You look at Genesis chapter 1. The purpose of his word he sends out is to speak life. Look at Ezekiel 37 when he speaks life into the dry bones. It, it, it's, to, it's to breathe life and it, it's profitable for reproof and for instruction and for doctrine. You look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And what we see here in Matthew 8 is the beginning of and the modeling of all that he had taught two weeks ago. Oh, what does a model do? A model represents and shows what something is supposed to, be, supposed to look like. If it's a pair of shoes, you know how it functions. If it's a shirt, you know how it, it rests on someone. If it's a dress, how the gown flows. When someone models those things, you know what it's supposed to look like, what it is intended for, and how that intent is revealed in its purpose. That is what a model is. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 is modeling everything that he had just spoke about in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and beginning to model what that looks like in real life for his disciples in Matthew chapter 8. Does that make sense? All right. So, if it doesn't go from here and here to out here, then that becomes a hiccup in our ability not only to disciple others, but to be discipled by others, especially by the Spirit of God within our lives. So, in Matthew chapter 8, this is what it looks like. You look at verses 1 to 4 when he heals the leper. I'm not going to turn to it because I'm not going to be spending my time reading the whole chapter. There's only one section that I'm going to focus on. But in verses 1 to 4, you have a leper, an outcast, a reject, a person that has his own colony far from the city limits. Why? Because they are unclean. Considering that a leper, you couldn't even cross their paths without having to take a wash. That when he was ever in his presence, and I remember doing this, they would point and ridicule and say, unclean, until you ran away. You had no right to be around people. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals this man. This man who had known nothing but rejection. This man who had known nothing but condemnation and despair. Who ventured to find his reprieve gained by the presence of Jesus Christ. To have his hope fulfilled by humbling, humbling himself before him. And Jesus responds to him. 
Jesus responds to such a way that the leper could represent in the Beatitudes the poor in spirit who gains the kingdom of heaven, is verse 3. The leper could represent the one who mourns and finds comfort in the presence of the Savior. That's in verse 4. The leper comes to Jesus being witnessed by those around him, especially his disciples, and saw Jesus give him comfort, give him acceptance, give him the kingdom by touching his hand and said, by touching him with his hand and saying, I will be clean. Can you imagine? I mean, when people looked around and would have thought, why is Jesus touching this man? You know who else would have been in that group? His disciples. His disciples would have looked at him as well and thought, oh, but the dude is unclean. Why is he touching him? Why? Because Jesus is showing them this is what real love looks like. This is what real acceptance looks like. Have you ever been around a homeless person that stinks and all you're thinking is, I want to get away? That's the person Jesus takes in. The smell of that particular homeless person is the same smell of my sin to my Savior. And yet he does not reject me. Yet he does not cast me away. Yet he does not refrain his hand from blessing. You see that? This is what it looks like to disciple someone by doing what you say you know. By living who you say you know. You look at the faith of the centurion in verses 5 through to 13. Now remember, this is a Roman centurion. This is a member of the people that had political weight and military rule over Israel at this time. He was not a friend of the Jews. Now, irrespective of how this particular gentleman may have been honored by Israel because he feared God and blessed people and cared for his servants, that is a wonderful thing. But that Roman centurion represented everything that was complete antithesis to what Israel stood for. These were the slave masters. This was, in today's vernacular, the man. That's who the Romans were. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him an ear. Jesus gives him his time. Jesus, even though he is an enemy, this is the exact living out of verses 43 and 45 in Matthew chapter 5. What does it say? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. See, it's wonderful to talk a big game, but talking a big game and not living it, can you imagine how much credibility Jesus would have lost if he spoke such truth and never lived out such truth? The reason why he had so much weight is because he lived, he practiced what he preached. And I think this is part of the problem we have as the church, is that many people use the excuse, oh, I mean, look, yeah, everything about Christ is great. Mahatma Gandhi said this, everything is great about Christianity and about the person of Jesus if it just wasn't for the Christians. Yeah, now look, I, I'm, I know, I, and I know from fact that I am not perfect. I know that. You know that. You know that I'm not perfect either. But here's the thing, that the focus, the focus is let's, let's not give our 
our, our, our critics. Let's not give the people that surround us ammunition to throw at the church. More importantly, let's not give them ammunition to throw at Christ. Let's, if we say one thing, let's, let's do it. And I, I think it's something practical. And, and I know that even I, I have struggled with this. A real practical thing, a real practical thing in regards being a follower of Jesus and living that out and not giving them ammunition to throw against us, keep your word. Keep your word. And I, I fail miserably at that. But keep your word. I think that, that itself speaks volumes. But this is the reality lived out, the faith of the centurion. I, I changed it too early. Uh, when Jesus heals many in, in verses 14 through to 17, I love the authority that Jesus shows to his disciples. Like he's, so not only, not only the authority by healing the centurion's servant because he's nowhere near the presence, not only the acceptance when he heals the leper, but now after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, everybody comes along. Everybody comes along and he heals many people. Now, if you have a look in verse 17, what it says there, Jesus did what he did as a fulfillment of what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Everything Jesus did was in line with what God's heart was for, for the people of, of for humanity, for, for their salvation. Everything was done in regards to that aspect of it. And the, the next one, when he talks about the cost of following Jesus in verses 18 through to 22, I really do like this. Sorry, just going to rush through because I want to get to what I want to be focusing on. Is that discipleship, there's, al- there's always excuses. There's always excuses. In verse 19, a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever I go. The intent there, the desires there, but then the excuse comes. Verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. What does Jesus respond? Let the dead bury the dead there's excuses, there's always excuses. And we always sit there and say, there's never going to be enough time. There never will be enough time. There never will be enough time. I'll get to it when, I'll get to it if, I'll get to it because, whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe, and I know this for myself, maybe God's saying, do it now, do it now. Uh, I know sometimes when my wife asks me to do something, and it might be something as simple as like, you know, bringing in the laundry, and she'll go, can you do the laundry? Yeah, yeah, I can do that but there's no time frame put on it, you know? And then it's like, have you got the laundry in yet? No, no, I said I'll do it. I said I'll do it. Still no time frame though. And so I'm thinking, as long as it's within that 24-hour day, I think I'll be okay. That's what I think. And then eventually she goes out and gets the laundry. I asked her, yeah, I said I was going to do it. You just didn't, didn't give me enough time. Well, she gave me like 12 hours and I still didn't do it. So the whole idea is I like probably 12 hours later, I probably still wouldn't do it, you know, which is fair enough. So maybe, maybe, maybe like this is for us when God says, look, uh, Joe, I want you to put this away. Joe, I want you to go and do this. And, and we always come up with an excuse to not to. Instead, where it says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, um, don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. So instead of when he says, look, Joe, seek, seek my kingdom, instead of saying, yeah, Lord, I'll get to that. Joe, Joe, I want you to pursue me. Yeah, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord, there's a 24-hour window. Oh, Joe, I need you to do this now. The thing, the thing is this, the, uh, I remember as a very young Christian in one of the navigator studies that we did, there was one line that I always remember, and it said, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
And I was like, yeah. Still didn't help me get the laundry in quicker though, but you know, that's, I'm learning, I'm learning in regards to that aspect of it. All right, now, the one I want to focus on though is these two. Specifically, the storm, which is actually quite appropriate considering what happened yesterday. That Jesus calms the storm and Jesus restores two demon-possessed men. In the first passage, we read this. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now it is here I want to dwell a little. You see, up to this point, they have been witness to the living of God's word, the living out of God's word. They've seen Jesus do the miraculous already. But the reality of what God's God's word looks like in real life, this was starting to sort of sink into the disciples' mind. Uh, As I shared before, you see, any teaching, any words, as good as they are, mean very little if it doesn't move beyond the realm of knowledge and into the reality of life. This is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8. For much, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more the knowledge, the more the grief. You know why that is such a condemnation on us? Have you ever heard this line when you're growing up as kids and you've done something wrong that you know you weren't supposed to do and you heard from your parents these words, magic words? You know better. You know better. Or the other one, which is really a real guilt thing that parents love to throw, because I throw it all the time. I raised you better than that. I raised you better than that. Oh, those are great lines. Anyway, enough reminiscing. But it is, it is this, it is in this record of what happens here that the eyes of their revelation are opened just a little bit more See, there are five things, five things taken from this passage that I think are really important for us to take note of. See, firstly is this. The disciples chose to be in the presence of Jesus in verse 23. Jesus got on the boat. They chose to be there with him. Um, If you look, where is it? In Mark's account, I think it's Mark chapter four, we read this. It's the same account, but Mark chapter four, Jesus says this. Let us go over to the other side. So here's the thing, Jesus knew the goal, Jesus knew the destination, and he imparted that destination to his disciples. So he says, all right, let's go to the other side. So they know where they're going, the disciples know where they're going, and they're like, okay, let's go. And so they jump on the boat to go. It's in uh, Mark chapter yeah, Mark chapter 4, yeah, Mark chapter 4, verse 37, okay? Now, This is what I think is really important for us, and I shared this before. It's important that we do have a goal, that we know where we're going, and that we know how to get there, because the disciples knew where they were going now. They knew what their destination was. They knew how they were getting there, which was in a boat, and they knew who they were going with, which was with Jesus. Okay, you got that fact? That's the first point. They knew where they were going. They hopped on the boat. They chose to be there. But here's the second point. Just because you're in the presence of Jesus just because you're on the boat, on the journey to a particular destination, does not mean there will be smooth sailing. 
it does not mean it's going to be an easy cruise. Because what happens when they're on the boat? Look at the very next verse. You have a furious storm. A furious storm rises up. But hang on, Jesus is there. Shouldn't everything be sweet? Hang on, Jesus is there. Shouldn't everything be fine? I don't understand. Why are we experiencing the storm right now when we are chose to be with Jesus and we're doing what Jesus wants us to do? We're being obedient and in His presence, and yet we're experiencing these storms. Now, we had a touch of a storm yesterday, and that was just a touch. You realize how insignificant that makes you feel? When you're standing, I was walking with Carla up from things. She, she opened her umbrella, and it was gone. The whole thing. She was like, she just, she just went... And she was even like towards the wind, she just went pop, patoom, and it was inside out just like that. That was amazing. And that, this, uh, this, I think, is just, it, it reminds us of how insignificant we are in reality for all our bravado, for all our intellect, for everything we say, oh yeah, I am so strong, oh yeah, I am so smart, yeah, I am so wealthy, means nothing when it comes to who God is. It means nothing against the reality of what, faith, what is faced in life. Steve Jobs, one of the richest men in the world at the time, you know what happened to him? He died. That, that didn't change. And, and that's what I find really interesting. And, and here's what's fascinating. And sorry, in verse four, once again, in the Mark account, chapter 4, verse 38, we read this. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. What's a cushion? It's a pillow. Let me provide a bit of context. If you find a pillow somewhere, you go with the direct intent to take a nap. That's what Jesus was doing. He found the cushion and thought, yeah, I'm going to take a snooze. It wasn't an accident. Have you ever fallen asleep by accident? It happened to me yesterday. I was just sitting on the couch, had the earphones in, and I, I was sitting there. My daughters were there, and then I just was like, and just gone. That was it. That was by accident. That was back. When I take a cushion with me, it's with the direct intent of the, I'm going to have a sleep. That's what Jesus did. But just because Jesus was sleeping did not mean Jesus did not care. Okay, don't, don't mistake that. Don't mistake that because Jesus is having a rest here that he didn't love his disciples, that he didn't care for his disciples. He was still in the presence of his disciples. He took an intentional Z, Took quite a few Z's, yes, but he knew where he was. He knew where he was going. He knew how he was getting there, and he knew how, or sorry, not how, but who was with him at the time, all right? Which means this. His disciples knew where to go when they needed help. His disciples knew, and this is the third fact taken from verse 25. The fact that he is asleep doesn't mean he doesn't care and that he's not interested in them or on the st in the storms that are being faced. But maybe, just maybe, he's waiting for those on the journey with him to cry out to him. Have you ever had, have, okay, who's ever been micromanaged before? Like you're trying to get stuff done yeah, you're trying to get stuff done. You've got a job and you want to get the job done and all that sort of stuff. And, and people, people micromanage you all the time. It's really quite frustrating, isn't it? And you're sitting there like, I know what I'm doing. I know what's going to be done. And now, now here's the thing. I'm not saying that, that God micromanages. But what I do know is this, that God's given us the avenues by which we can cry out to him. What are we told in Hebrews? That we can approach the throne of grace. 
and we can cry out for help in time of need. We are told that. And and I know for myself as a parent that when my kids are doing stuff, I, I let them do stuff. I'm always watching them though. I'm always watching them. And that when they do cry out, I'm there. When they do cry out, I'm ready to, 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 to whatever it might be, whether it be to give money, whether to come along and support, whatever it might be. And so maybe, just maybe in this situation, Jesus, yes, having a sleep, waiting for his disciples to go to him. But what do we do? Uh, you've, all, you've all heard, we've all heard the same thing, that, that prayer is usually our last resort instead of our first resource. What do we do? We, we love, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not saying do, do stupid things or, or be stupid. Okay? I know you're not stupid. Okay? I, I should say stupid so much. But all, all I'm saying is this. What do we do? Whenever we're faced with something, and Jono shared this last week. It was a great illustration of this last week when there was a situation with a project that he was working on and instead of like with the frustration of working with other people because people can be frustrating and I sound so excited when I say that. Sorry about that. But yeah, people can be so, so frustrating. Instead of coming to God and saying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? How do, how do you want me to just give me wisdom to identify something? What do we do? We spend all our time trying to manipulate the situation or manipulate the people around us to try and achieve the goals that we want to achieve. And then when it doesn't work, we cry to God, God, can you please fix this? God's given us one of the greatest gifts of all. He's given us His Son, Jesus Christ. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us the church, yes. And you know what else He's given us? He's given us common sense. He's given us common sense to look at something and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Now, fourth point. Fourth point from here. See, it is when they cry out to Jesus that Jesus steps in and does the miraculous. It's when he actually reveals to his disciples who he really is. It changes their focus. And I think this is what we need to do. Actually, no, this is what the Lord needs to do in us to, to change our focus because they, they sit there and they go, in verse 26, they cry out to find out who he really is. And now they find out oh, he's not just a healer. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not someone they can just provide. He's not some charlatan who does tricks. He's not, he's not any of these things. Because that fifth point is this. They realize, because they ask, who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They have seen him perform miraculous things up to now. They have seen him do some amazing things. But not once, not once. See, if anything, if we have a storm that is completely out of our control, and for the disciples, that would have been the same thing. I mean, you look at the fishermen. The fishermen know about the sea. The fishermen know about weather. They know about weather patterns. They know all this sort of stuff. To have someone speak to those weather patterns, to have someone speak to that storm, to have someone speak to those waves, and it calms, right then and there, for a lot of those disciples would have sat there and thought, yeah, this is different. This is someone different. Like they had known Jesus, but I think now they're starting to know Jesus. That there's a lot more to what he does and to what he says than just what they think. And you've experienced this in your life where you've had things that are completely out of your control and then somehow God speaks into your storm 
and brings peace. It may not go the way you want, but it brings peace. It may not result in what you want it to result, but there comes peace. He speaks peace into your storm. Because you read further on, and when he restores the two demon-possessed men, I'm going to finish up soon. I'm not going to read through all of that, but I want you to take note of something here. So they have just seen him exercise his exousia, his authority, and his dunamis, his power, by calming the storm. But look at this part here. See, he was healing many like demon-filled people when he was healing many people. He was doing a lot of other things a little bit earlier on in the chapter. But now he comes across these demon-possessed men. And what's fascinating is this, is that the authority, his exousia, his power, his dunamis, is demonstrated here, but is not acknowledged by him. Who is it acknowledged by? By his disciples? No. It's acknowledged by the demons themselves. It's acknowledged, by the, it's, it's acknowledged by the supernatural. These supernatural demons, these, these things of the enemy, they cower before the authority of Jesus Christ. They cower and they are fearful of him. They are fearful of him. And what's, what's amazing is this. He didn't even say anything when he walked up. He walked up and they recognized straight away who they were dealing with. Can you imagine the disciples right there? Right now, they're already sitting there thinking, wow, this is amazing. Did you see what he did to nature? Did you see the power and the authority that he exercised just by speaking to it? Then he walks in and these demons say, hey, we know who you are. We know who you are. We, we don't want anything to do with you. We, know, we recognize that. Can you imagine the disciples now looking at this person of Jesus Christ thinking, who is this? that even not only the winds and the waves, but the demons themselves recognize who Jesus is? That's amazing. That is actually, that's actually amazing. And you know why that's amazing? Because that same Lord and Savior is the one whom we know and whom we serve. The one whose example we are called to follow. The one who's imparted that same authority and that same power to us in Jesus Christ. See, that excites my heart. That excites my heart to think, wow, this is, this is me now. And it has to start. It has to start that we have the right perception and the right understanding and the right recognition of who Jesus Christ is. This is where discipleship begins and, and is maintained throughout our whole Christian life from the time we come to know the Lord to the time we get called home to glory. This is where it is and this is where it stays and where it should always stay. That is on the person of Jesus Christ. He, he who is not only transcendent and afar off but close at hand and near to us. This is, this is where it is to, to start and, and this is where it is to stay. See, I, I, think, I think it's the combining of, of these, these things. It's, yes, it's wonderful to have knowledge, and it's wonderful to know the Word of God. I've, I've hid your Word in my heart that I might not sin against thee, Psalm 119 says. That's a great verse to know. It, it's wonderful to, to, to have the Word of God written upon your heart. It, it's wonderful to memorize the Word so you, you, can, you can recall the Word in, in various situations. It's wonderful to have that knowledge but that knowledge must be expressed. There must be the combination of knowledge 
combined with, with action. Well, actually, I, let me clarify. It should be the combination of knowledge that is expressed in action. That, that has to go. And that action must be, it must be motivated, must be empowered. It must come about from the Spirit of God. It must. It must. Because if it's not from the Spirit of God, then it's just me knowing something and me trying really hard, which results in me failing. That's the difference. So this starts off with you and I when it comes to this whole idea of what discipleship really is as we look at these lessons, as we look at these lessons from the life of Christ and, and, and that we, we, yes, yes, we know and we know who He is and we know what He's doing. We know our destination and we've chosen to be in the boat with Jesus. We've chosen that and we are comforted with the fact that when there are storms, He is there for us to cry out to. He is there for us to lean on. And then, and then when he responds, when he responds in that situation and speaks peace into that storm, not only do we experience peace, but we won't ask the question, who is this man? No, we fall on our knees and say, oh Lord, my God. That's where he wants to take us. So I'd like to invite the music team up to, to sing our final song. Um, after our final song, I want you, with the person that you're sitting next to, if your music team person has left, I'm sorry I took them away from you, but I'd like you to pray for the person next to you, the person that you've gotten to know, the person you've gotten to talk about, that you've learned something about them. I would like for you to pray for them. And as you pray for them, I'd like you to take those prayer points away and continue to pray for them, to continue to, to think about them. If you don't have their phone number, get their phone number. If you don't have their email address, don't give it to them. But take their phone number and, 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 and call them throughout the week. Call, man, I, I would encourage you, I, ch I challenge you to do that. I challenge you, the person that you're talking with now, you get their number and you call them. Send them a text. Some of you I'm praying for you today. That's what I want you to do, okay? And then next week, next week, I'm going to have another activity, okay? Everyone's all good on that? No one looks excited, but that is okay. That is okay. I'll be outstanding. We'll sing our final song. Yeah.